Hard to Believe is proud to be a part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. To find more of this and other great shows, head to cageclub.me. You can find the show on YouTube by searching Hard to Believe Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Or you can support the show on Patreon by heading to patreon.com slash hardtobelieve. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at john at cageclub.me. Or you can find me on Twitter at ProbablyRealJB. That's P-R-O-B-A-B-L-Y-J-B. The show is written and produced by me. 1980s Detroit was a notorious hotbed of economic strife and decline. In 1989, two white working-class Detroit natives, Joseph Bruce and Joseph Utzler, formed a gang with some friends called the Inner City Posse. Bruce and Utzler were fans of hip-hop and professional wrestling, and brought the -the over-the-top performative theatrics of wrestling into their own music. In time, and between stints in jail, they would focus their energy on their musical career, taking the ICP name with them, but ultimately assigning a new name to those initials. Based on a wild dream Bruce once had involving clowns, ICP took on clown alter-egos and re-emerged not as inner-city posse, but insane clown posse. In retrospect, it's kind of astonishing how perfectly ICP captured so much of the zeitgeist of the mid-to-late 1990s. Not just in their white-guy, working-class rap-rock aesthetic shared by the likes of Limp Biscuit and Kid Rock, but in the way they co-opted a growing trend of seeing clowns as edgy, violent, and ambiguously threatening freaks. If you type the word clown in Google image search, that unfailing barometer of our societal trends, long before you encounter a single image of a kid's jack-in-the-box or even a whimsical circus performer, you'll be bombarded with grotesque images of snarling, horrific killers in white and red makeup. Just how, when, and why did clowns become synonymous with fear and horror? When and how did we all come to believe that clowns are a foe and not a friend? Chelsea Weber-Smith is the creator and host of the brilliant podcast American Hysteria, They're also a really big fan of the 1990 version of Stephen King's It, both of which makes them uniquely qualified to explain the roots of our irrational and indeed hysterical fear of clowns. Chelsea Weber-Smith is my guest today. I'm John Brooks, and this is Hard to Believe. Chelsea Weber-Smith, welcome to Hard to Believe, and thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. I don't think there's a ton of people who listen to this show and don't already know about your show, but should that be the case, can can you give a brief introduction to um, American Hysteria? Yeah, American Hysteria is a podcast about moral panics, conspiracy theories, urban legends, and fantastical thinking, and lately more on the fantastical thinking part. Um, but yeah, we cover everything from the stranger danger, satanic panic, Illuminati type of stuff to um, the history of public education. Um, we do a lot of work around social issues, uh, but really what we try to do is look at uh, irrational fears and strange things that Americans believe um, through all different kinds of lenses, like psychological, uh, sociological, often biological, which is one of my favorite parts, just to really figure out um, why people think and do the things they do in a historical context. So that's the long and short of it. 
So we have a lot of shared interest in that regard um, that I think we're both kind of intrigued by the way people believe things and how they come to those beliefs. And um, one of the things that makes your show great is that there seems to be a real um, sort of emotional and personal connection to the stories that you tell. And you allude a little bit to biographical information of your own life um, on occasion and weave that into the stories. Um, but in in brief, like what is it that drove you to um, specifically tackle kind of this, this, this broad topic, this world of um, moral panics and kind of fantastical thinking um, into and distill that into sort of a um, an essay based uh, podcast. Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. I don't even uh, I'm not even sure how it all really came together. But um, I went to uh, graduate school at the University of Virginia for poetry. So that was like, a big, it's a big part of what I do. Um, and writing in terms of the essay format is just the natural uh, way that I write. And I think it lends itself to um, to digestible information in a, in a certain amount of time that's also entertaining. I mean, that's a big thing is we try to, to be funny and engaging and give like the weirdest stories we can while at the same time trying to kind of tie that into bigger social issues and uh, hopefully impact things a little bit in that way. But basically I uh, grew up with a dad, like a weekend dad, who uh, <laughs> was a conspiracy theorist, uh, 2012 end of the world. So um, through my high school years, it was sort of like a countdown to 2012. Um, not to say that I believed that strongly, but it was a background, you know, and then the Illuminati. And uh, that was back when the Illuminati was not yet the deep state and not yet the Illuminati of uh, QAnon that we know today. Yeah, it always changes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. And this was like a, you know, post Iraq war type of Illuminati. Uh, and it can swap back and forth depending on uh, what the situation is uh, in the power structures, uh, who who's believing in the, uh, you know, huge occult uh, <laughs> mystery of, you know, people controlling the world. And uh, for me, it was like, I got to the point, I watched all of the the stuff in, in the 2000s that came out about um, the Bilderberg group and all of the uh, uh, zeitgeist and all that stuff that was so oh, popular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Great stuff. Great stuff. And so, you know, it's so, it's so easy to get sucked in. And, uh, but one day I got to the point where I was talking to somebody about it and they brought up how it was the Jews that were controlling the world. And that's what I did. Like, <laughs> a like, a you know, like a record scratch happened in the, in the bar I was in. And, uh, I was like, Oh <laughs> shit, like, what am I doing? And, um, so then I did a lot of research on that and that really led me to be like, okay, so I don't believe in this, but I'm still super interested in conspiracy theories and believing in things that aren't true. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I got a job doing true crime for this company. So I, I just started doing podcasts there and uh, it wasn't at all something that I had planned to do. It was just something that happened to me. Um, and then I just kind of, you know, instead of, you know, there's not a lot of long form essay type of podcast. So it was definitely kind of a, a risky move. And, and I think that it isn't as consumable for some people as a conversational show, like you're wrong about our, our pals. Um, but, you know, I think that the essay format is just always the way that I can best express myself um, and, and, and add in those stories and also have control. I mean, I'm a control freak. And when you have a conversational show, you know, as you know, it's like, 
you you don't have as much you just don't have as much control and i like to really like be very careful as i'm sure you've noticed with my words and really like try to get messages across uh, in a way that <laughs> that is much easier to do in in a long form way yeah it's funny because i we're we're i think almost exactly 10 years apart and um i i never really considered that there were people for whom 2012 was like a really big deal um mm. And I guess it's almost uh, almost sort of um, a kind of carbon copy of what for my era was was Y2K um, and, and that it like happened again 10 years later, although it was I feel like Y2K was based in something at least somewhat real yes. and somewhat tangible, which is just really uh, it's really odd to me. But uh, the thing about the show that um, kind of resonates with me so much is that a lot of the stuff that I never really considered that had been um, sort of in the in the background of my adolescence and um, when I when I went from you know being a child to like a teenager in the '90s and then to a twenty-something in the in the post nine eleven era um, that I, I never I, like I always knew this stuff was there. Um, and was always, again, like I was a huge X-Files fan and like Area 51 mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Like I loved it in the same way, um, but never really understood exactly how to contextualize it and, um, and that there was context for it. Um, and so like the thing that I wanted to talk to you about today, the, the one that really sort of like jumped out to me as, oh, okay, I, I now get that there was something actually going on here, um, is your episode about clowns, which was from, I guess, like four years ago. How, how long ago was that? Uh, 2018. So not, not quite so long ago, two and a half years, I'd say. Yeah. It's been a minute. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, let's, well, we're going to, we're going to pick apart the whole clown thing first. One of the things that you've talked about on your show again, is that, um, you love horror movies and is it your favorite horror movie or your favorite movie full stop is the, the 1990 version of it? It's my favorite horror movie, but probably top three. And my favorite movie of all time is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is it your but no, it is. And we're talking 1990. Right. I just always want to be very clear about that. <laughs> it's a very big difference. Yeah. But both of them star Tim Curry. So that's really my thing. So it's really a Tim Curry uh, thing. That you it have. really is a character actor Tim Curry thing, I think. But does that extend to Congo? or uh, No, never mind. Um... <laughs> <laughs> God, Congo. I haven't thought about that in a long time. I would assume not. That's my, always my go-to. Like, yeah, but Tim Curry was in Congo is always my... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the card it's I it's unforgivable <laughs> <laughs> it's not because he elevates congo into a into a new nice. into yeah. a new a, a better movie than it would have been otherwise um god that was like during like anaconda time right it, wasn't it like it was jurassic in... park cash in time it was like let's make anything michael Crichton ever touched and turn it into a movie and, yeah. yeah um and and yeah uh it was around the time of anaconda that's a i've forgotten about that movie too <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, let's get back to it. So aside from from Tim Curry, what is it about that movie? Um, are you afraid of clowns? Do, does the fear of clowns extend to your own um, your own fears? Or is it? Or is there something about that movie that just you love it because of it's a great movie? I think, you know, I was, I was never that afraid of clowns. It was definitely more like, one of the things where everybody was afraid of clowns. And so it, they were just known to be creepy mm -hmm. by the nineties. Right. And um, 
I just was more interested in in why so many people were afraid of them. And of course, it's just a fantastic uh, it's a fantastic psychological tool to turn a children's enter, you know, turn children's entertainment into something horrifying. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, he, he did that. Stephen King did that, um, in the late eighties. Um, but we were already afraid of clowns. And so I think I'm really, I was always been interested in, in, you know, you go back to the fifties and sixties and nobody's scared of clowns. Uh, it's not right. something that, right. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more, but yeah, the movie itself, um, I would walk through, I've always liked horror movies since I was as like little as I can remember. And I'd walk through the horror section of Blockbuster and I'd always see that movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> and just because I like walked through the section didn't mean my parents were actually going to rent me it at eight years old. But, you know, I caught it on TV, right? Like I used to play it all the time on TV. So I caught it on TV um, when I was maybe nine or 10 and I just absolutely loved it. And, you know, I love a coming of age story so much. And I mean, if nothing else, it's a coming of age story and, and, you know, coming of age through trauma and through, um, you know, friendship. Like, I love a movie that's about a group of kids, you know, having a strong friendship, um, like now and then or like Stand By Me. Um, And I just think it kind of has everything, you know, it's a great horror movie, but it's also... um, a really cool kind of allegory for facing your fears and facing your past. And, you know, there's even some recovered memory shit in there, uh, which was very much of the time uh, in terms of they've entirely forgotten the clown and all the trauma. And then it suddenly comes back. And, and I just think that it's, it's kind of a interesting time capsule because of course, you know, I've talked about that so much on the show. Um, But yeah, it just always gave me a really great feeling. I thought Tim Curry was so scary, but so funny. And so um, just, there just wasn't, there's just no person like Tim Curry. I I know you said aside from Tim Curry, but we're back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I just never seen a clown, like, you know, it's down to, down to the way that they did his makeup in the movie. They use like fish hook eyebrows, which is really different from the exaggerated feature. Like they minimize all of his features except for his head. You know, there's like things that they did on purpose that evoked this, this uncanny valley type of thing, which is a lot about what the episode's about um that we do on phantom clowns and the clown panic um so yeah i think it's really like it's got everything it's got coming of age it's got you know adorable romance it's got mm-hmm. tragedy and it's got uplifting moments and you know it's a good three hours long so you know it's like it's like the titanic of horror movie it's it's got two vhs's <laughs> <laughs> um okay so Here's the thing. So I, um, when I was little, um, I didn't have a problem with clowns. Uh, and I found myself as a teenager in the nineties and suddenly everybody hated clowns. And I, I think I did subconsciously think in the back of my head, like, am I actually freaked out by clowns or am I supposed to be like, am mm-hmm. I being culturally told (laughs) that i'm supposed to be afraid of clowns and i'm like yeah i guess they are kind of icky and i've always wondered like how much of that is um something that was happening at the time in the culture or if it was just a natural thing that like when you're a kid you like clowns and when you're a teenager you're afraid of them and there's something psychological about that um your episode really got me thinking a lot about 
about that development? And I, I, it seems like the answer is kind of both. That yeah, um, there there is a certain level of like there's something about the clown that when you're a child and the exaggerated expressions and the silliness and all that sort of thing, um, because you haven't developed a lot of those sort of like evolutionary functions yet of being like afraid of the unknown you're like oh cute and then when you're older it's like that's not right there's something weird about it but also something was going on in the latter half of the 20th 20th century (laughs) that also sort of fueled that right so um i want to talk about both of those things you you alluded to the fact that like in the 1950s or whatever like clowns were not scary you had bozo the clown when the simpsons started like crusty was you know cool and and that was what kids were into and then there's this u-turn um what do you trace that to um in let's say around 1990 uh that that suddenly we have this shift well definitely it but (laughs) it's not it right Right. i mean i think it was like the nail in the coffin and and a lot of clown groups like really don't like it because Mm. of what it did but um i would be more apt to say that stephen king was influenced by the culture to make this villain that would have happened regardless. Um, So what was going on in the eighties is um, sort of um, a convergence of several moral panics. The eighties is just, of course, one long moral panic. Um, I remember. (laughs) But you know, you've got, um, you've got stranger danger. You've got the poison Halloween candy. You've got um, just kidnappers roving around, you know, satanic kidnappers, taking children away into the forest to do rituals or they're in the daycare center, you know, about to sacrifice your infant to Satan. Um, So it's just kind of like a prime time for uh, something like this. And it's hard really to, to pinpoint exactly how it started, but in the eighties, um, Benjamin Radford, who's a folklorist uh, who documents a lot of this stuff, is kind of like the one person that really documented this phantom clown panic. So I always like to shout out our underappreciated folklorists. But um, he just was able to see in several different states, um, kids and adults were reporting seeing clowns um, in the woods, being threatening, trying to kidnap children into vans, and um, basically everything that a stranger danger would do, but like put a clown on it. And um, so, I don't know. It's it's one of those like kind of mysteries. Um, exactly why it happened. There are so many great sociological, you know, papers and ideas, and and I tend to be interested in how it was, you know. Um, Ronald Reagan sort of affected Mm -hmm. the clown panic Mm -hmm. because he was this very um, kind of clownish type of person, the way that he looked, you know, he looked, um, he looked fake the way that Trump looks fake, right? He just doesn't look fully human. There's like an uncanny quality about um, these two people. And it just so happened that the second phantom clown panic came in 2016. So it was hard for me not to, you know, cause uh, I think the first one was in 89, 88. It was around when Reagan was really coming up um, in, in politics. And it was obvious that he was going to probably be the next president. Um, so 
I don't know. It's like, it's really hard, uh, but it, it's such a fun and weird thing. And I think it's so true that, that what really happens with these things, and I'm sure something like this happened in your hometown. It happened in mine once. And it's just like somebody claim something happened and then you're a kid and you want to be cool and you want attention and you want to be part of this thing. So you're like, oh, well, I saw one too. Yeah, he did this. And you like up the ante and then you've got a bunch of 80s parents that think that Satanists are, you know, eating again, your baby. And um, so it's not actually a stretch to think that there are these like evil clown people driving around, which of course there were never any actual clowns found but there were a lot of birthday clowns harassed by the police um so (laughs) yeah so it's i wish i knew exactly you know um but what i do know is is that uh it 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 was in many places at once and that's always really strange and that's common with urban legends i mean you could really sort this into kind of the urban legend category Mm -hmm. um but you know, it's just, uh, it, it is strange that it pops up all at the same time. And I think that's why that's when sociologists are like, okay, like this is happening from some sort of like weird collective cultural consciousness. Um, and that is basically, I think, because, you know, it, it's so many different things. Because we talk about the Uncanny Valley, as I'm sure we'll talk about more. I've already said that. But yeah. Um, yeah. so I think it's just really hard to actually have an answer and it's probably just a combination of things and then once kids get their hands on it you know people run with it um yeah it's a lot of fun to do (laughs) (laughs) well i do want to talk more about the uncanny valley thing next um because one of my theories is that uh there's kind of this i i do think that the stephen king it and actually that video box and i i I, and and the cover of the novel which got changed Mm -hmm. to tim curry like clawing his way through the you know um yeah. <laughs> right um I, so I, I teach high schoolers and i teach a course on justice and one of the things that i talk about a lot is is moral panics and the way that um these sort of paranoias and fears always lead to injustice um you know when you, you're talking about being into conspiracy theories and then you finally had that friend who was like by the way <laughs> it's the jews yeah. and you realize oh shit every conspiracy theory ultimately is anti-Semitism, you know, and so, like wrapped up in something. Um, so one of the things I say to my, 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 my students now is, okay, so here's what it was like for me growing up. When I was in fifth grade, we couldn't go, we couldn't wear name tags on field trips. And they told us the reason why, which is that some guy is going to claim he's your <laughs> uncle, right? And, and see your name and be like, oh, I'm, hey, hey, John, I'm supposed to pick you up. And your mom called and it's all fine. And then you go home and then you get trafficked and you're dead or whatever. So like literally couldn't wear name tags after I think fourth or fifth grade. Um, the entirety of my life up until 1990, every child that I went to school with was sure we were going to die in a nuclear holocaust. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a matter of when. It was like the Russians are going to you know, press the button at some point, it's a matter of when. And so like that perpetual fear, right, was was underlying everything and Ronald Reagan's stranger danger and all that sort of thing. Um, and then by the time I got to 1991 in health class, we're all told we're going to die of AIDS all the time. Yep. Right? And it's like, here's how you not don't get AIDS, but you're going to get it. And someone you know is going to die of it and it's going to happen. And I'm like, holy shit. Uh, and then I get through college and 9-11 happens. So I can understand 
how my generation in particular was vulnerable, right, to this kind of this kind of thing. And then I think like, okay, getting to this uncanny valley thing, is there something innate about clowns that make it like sort of ripe for that kind of a um a twist, right? Where it's like, here's this thing we're gonna insert to kind of absorb all of that anxiety. Um now, the case that you make and and sort of um, analyze and, and talk about studies about is is this idea of the uncanny valley that that this like not quite humanness of the clown that makes it um, scary. So so talk a little bit more about about that. Yeah. So the uncanny valley I think is so interesting because it it tries to explain to us the feeling of eeriness. Um, and since I was young, I've really wanted to understand that because it's like one of my favorite things. Cause I definitely was like a abandoned building, uh, mm-hmm. paranormal investigating type in my old life, but um, <sighs> super normal. Yeah. Well, Sorry, I'm also going to talk about supernormal stimuli in a second. But um, (laughs) the Uncanny Valley, yeah, it's essentially perhaps a mechanism in us that revolts us away from something that could be dangerous. Um, And so when you have something that fits into the Uncanny Valley, which was originally a... um, computer term. I don't know how to say that, but a technological sort of psychological thing when people are making video games, you know, when you're playing a video game and you're just like, that human's like a little off and it's making me feel really uncomfortable. And you can think of animatrons, right? At at Disneyland or dolls um, or anything that yeah, that that resembles a human being, but but there's something off enough about it that you have a, a bad feeling and you can't sort of like trust that thing. Um, and there's so many theories about why that is. And I think two that are really interesting is, is that um, it can remind us of dead bodies mm-hmm. uh, evolutionarily, right? So you want to stay away from somebody who's dead because they're going to possibly have some sort of disease or they can get you sick in some way. Um, And then the other thing is if someone is sick themselves, like say they are infected with rabies, right? So somebody's acting all like off, you're going to want to avoid that person. Um, And, you know, who knows? Um, Those are just theories that I find interesting. Um, But then on the other side, there's this thing um, that we talk about on the show quite a bit called supernormal stimuli. And you could you could sort the clown into that if you wanted to. Um, and supernormal stimuli is uh, humans, at least in terms of like the studies that have, have been conducted are naturally, well, all animals actually are attracted to exaggerated versions of things. So the original experiment was these birds uh, were given uh, a, a fake nest that that mimicked the eggs in their own nest, but bigger. So like uh, larger with large polka dots. Theirs were like speckled. So just um, just larger versions of their eggs. And they have complete, completely abandoned their eggs to sit on these plastic eggs that like they couldn't even sit on. They were so big. And, you know, it's the same thing with like people or uh, animals being more attracted to mates with exaggerated features that are entirely fake. You know, they'll make these and they'll just 
they'll just abandon their their natural mates, food, uh, anything like that to have even a fake version. So, I mean, that explains a whole lot about America in general. Um, but Deidre Barrett wrote a great book called Supernormal Stimuli that kind of explains even in like friend, why we like the show Friends, you know, like why we like <laughs> things that are blo- blown up versions of. So she just takes this sort of biological imperative and applies it to humans and, and American cultures. So that was really good. Um, but, you know, I think you could sort clowns. And I wonder if that's partially why kids like clowns, you know. Um, and like you said, children just are, are very different in what frightens them and what doesn't. And um, so I, I I think there's clowns just fall in these two categories because you could like a clown for its exaggerated features, but maybe it's just uncanny enough that we don't. So it's a really, uh, it's just one way I like to look at, at the clown thing, but it, it, it's, it maybe asks more questions than gives answers. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you talk about in that episode is um, Ronald McDonald. And I, I have to like, it made me think that I've actually never been creeped out by Ronald McDonald because I think, and I, I don't know if this is true, but like my theory is that it's because he lives in a fantasy world. Like he's not supposed mm. to be from here. And so like he hangs out with the fry guys and the hamburglar and birdie and grimace. And like, that's, so he belongs in that, bucket and he like comes to visit sometimes in the mcdonald's play area but like that's not where he's from um and and there's something about sort of like the, the, the encroachment of your kind of typical birthday party circus clown or whatever that they don't they're not from anywhere they're just sort of they sort of show up into the world and and kind of that's where the fear is from um so if you th- like have you did that ever sort of enter into your research at all is that like the part of the fear is the um, inability to kind of place the the point of origin um, of the clown or of certain clowns and not others. Definitely. And I don't know, it's been a long time since I've listened to the episode, so I don't know what we included, but um, something that I definitely read about is exactly what you're saying. And that like, suddenly there's a clown out of its context. Like you didn't go to the clown. The clown is now here um, without your consent all the time, unless you ordered the clown. But um yeah, and I think it that that's it, it. So another thing, and I I know we do talk about this in the episode is back on the eeriness tip. Um, I was trying to understand what that feeling was and, and why we have it because it's a very particular feeling. It's not fear, like when you're feeling like creeped out, you're not necessarily afraid, and mm-hmm. but it's like fear adjacent, right? It's closer <laughs> to fear than any other any other emotion. But uh, so what I read about is that basically you when you are confronted with an ambiguous threat you are hyper focused on whatever the threat is because you're trying to get more information so it's basically like a warning from inside yourself that like a situation might be unsafe like say you're on a bus and some person is staring at you um or saying something weird, but you're not like, it's not like a threat necessarily, but you're like, I need to keep my eye on this person and I'm feeling creeped out. Mm. Um, And sometimes like, I don't know why, but the other half of it and why there's this dissonance that happened that, that creates eeriness is that you're also trying to not break cultural or you're not trying, you don't want to break 
the rules of your culture and society. So like you don't want to run screaming away from this person that you don't know is really a threat. You don't want to attack them. You don't want to do any of the things that you would naturally do if something was actually threatening you. So that dissonance of of wanting to act the right way and also wanting to keep yourself safe creates this weird, like, uh, like almost like brain, uh, what would it be like malfunction, uh, that makes you just feel really weird. Um, and that goes for places you enter as well. I think that's, I really, I love the, the way that people stay in rooms and that like people are naturally drawn to the corners of restaurants because you're able to see everything, you know, cause like most, I'm like, I always want to sit in the corner, but I didn't know why, you know, and it's cause it's naturally <laughs> like, we want to, we want to survey the sea and make sure there's no clowns there, right. <laughs> you know? So, so, true. so yeah. 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 So I, you know, one of the things that, um, I think it's really interesting is that there's also like with, with the way that clowns kind of um, showed up in the world of, of young people um, or, or continue to is in the form of the circus. And it's like the circus is not a safe place. It's not a place where like everything is going to be fine. I remember going to the circus as a kid. I used to love it, but also being like, Oh my God, everyone here is going to die. Cause you got people doing these like crazy things on high wires and spinning around and like putting their heads in lions and stuff. And then here's the clowns. And so, you know, they sort of exist within this, um, this kind of world of danger, um, which I assume kind of plays a role in it, but, but it also sort of makes me think of like what, the history like what 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 the the modern clown where the modern clown comes from because um i think most people might think like oh i guess uh pt barnum and like whatever like invented them or something but what is the history of the modern clown that's a great question um first of all what i didn't mention in the original like how did we get here clown wise question was um John Wayne Gacy, right. which is like right. Doy, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, late 70s, uh, early 80s, huge story of a serial killer um, that the media dubbed, you know, the basically the clown killer because he occasionally dressed up like a clown for birthday parties. But obviously the, you know, the media was definitely not going to not make him a clown serial killer, right. um, you know, down to the certainly invented quote where he says, uh, you know, clowns can get away with murder when he's being arrested. Like on what planet, you know, did he say that? Right. Um, but, you know, when you're a kid, you're or an adult, you're hearing when you're a kid, you're hearing a clown kidnapped a bunch of boys and young men and they were all found in his crawl space under, you know, and there's a gay panic happening in the 80s with gay molesters. And, you know, it's just like uh, that that story itself was a huge, huge part. I cannot believe I didn't mention it earlier. Well, and then, and then um, Clowns from Outer Space came out like right around the same time as it, <laughs> yeah, right? So I think so. Yeah. yeah. So people were just ready to. But OK, so clowns. In terms of American history, uh, really took off in the 50s with Bozo, and he was just so fucking popular. Like he, there were there were 10 year waits to to go to his show. I mean, it was like, and then they franchised him out. So there was the original Bozo, but then there was a Bozo in every city. And it was just, yeah, we had one. Yeah, huge phenomenon. And we had JP Patches in Seattle, um, and (laughs) who was actually a friend of my step grandmother's. Um, Wow. But I never met him. 
Oh, never mind. Uh, anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you have that happen. And then as we mentioned, you know, as we kind of talked about, um, we got Ronald McDonald coming in. He is, there's a legacy of, you know, the bo- the first Ronald McDonald was a bozo clown, I think from Chicago. And um, Willard Scott? Was like- Willard Scott. Yeah. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Willard Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, really up until John Wayne Gacy, like there wasn't really a problem uh, with clowns. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then it just like, it just really popped off once, you know, you saw all these pictures of him because they use that picture of him again and again and again in his clown makeup. Um, but in like a, a grander scale, you know, clowns have never been children's entertainment Mm. until the 50s clowns like you said were like kind of macabre creatures um that were found in circuses and yeah circuses also were never for children they're for like you know they were always seen as like very low class very low brow entertainment um which we don't subscribe to those types of terms here at American Hysteria because we don't like classism. Um, But it was very much like the trashy thing to do um, that the upper classes wouldn't ever, ever, ever be caught dead doing. Um, It was like associated with sin and vice. And um, I mean, P.T. Barnum is insanely problematic, but one thing he wasn't was like, uh, snooty and he you know it, it's really interesting his history is really complicated absolutely and interesting. Yeah, um, yeah but he's horrifically gross and then also <laughs> did some other things that were kind of okay i don't know but um so much of history yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um no heroes no villains um so uh yeah we really looked into the history for the episode of um of the archetype of the clown across kind of time and culture and um, even pre-colonial clowns here. Um, and clowns have always been about uh, challenging social norms. Uh, and the jester is a really good example of that. And that the jester uh, in terms of like an English court was the only person who could make fun of the king and the only person who could say things that otherwise would get your head chopped off um and also advised the king on matters as important as war you know it was like they it was an honored position and also this position that that kind of existed almost to keep the king humble which i don't think really worked in the terms of history of kings but um it, then you have clowns like in in indigenous tribes uh and of course i'm not gonna this is a general very general statement and every tribal community was extremely different but there were um the hyoka clowns were uh really really cool characters that were a really important part of the community and that they would make people laugh, but they would do so by doing the opposite of whatever the custom was. So if it was freezing in the winter, they take off all their clothes. If it was really hot, they put on all their clothes. You like ride a horse backwards, um, be really rude and shitty, you know, and, and just the things that you're not supposed to do. Um, and what that would do then would be to sort of reinforce the social norms of the community, um, by, by being this exaggerated, overblown, bad example. Um, and and it's a really holy thing. Like it's a very important part of 
and even now, uh, it's just a very honorable role, which I think is is really interesting. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, they weren't a child. They weren't children's entertainment. I'm not exactly sure who the you know mastermind was that changed the clown into a, a child's thing. Yeah, but yeah. Um, before that, it, the, the clown was more of this important uh, challenger to what was happening, but it wasn't necessarily a challenger that was trying to break apart, uh, you know, customs, but more reinforce them and bring the community together to laugh, but also to remember, like in times of happiness and joy, the clown would talk about death, you know, and in times of abundance and, and and, and, or in times of, you know, drought or whatever, the clown would just act like ecstatically happy. So it's just a, it's just a really cool pre-colonial type of clown. Um, And then we brought John Wayne Gacy. (laughs) (laughs) White people just brought John Wayne Gacy. Well, white people also brought the Joker. um, And and, hey, (laughs) we're not all bad. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, you know, know, that got me thinking about how in a lot of native and and pre-Christian religions, pre- uh, absolute monotheistic religions. The um, the the figure of the trickster, um, who is always in the pantheon, is considered to be like one of the most um, human and relatable and sacred beings because the trickster like does dumb shit like people do, and also you know forces people to make mistakes and learn from them and that sort of thing. And and um, you know, and you saying that it makes me think that in a lot of ways, like the court gesture is almost a way of like wedging the trickster God into um, a, you know, sort of rigidly monotheistic Christian um, worldview. And, and um, there probably is something, you know, with the sacredness of the clown that, that has maybe even deeper roots than that. Um, The other thing that, that I, I, I kind of realized as we were talking here is that, um also around the same time as it was was tim burton's uh batman and the way that like jack nicholson plays with this motif um in that in that movie so well as well that like his he has to wear like human makeup over his clown face and so it's like a reverse of that and then when you see jack nicholson in the human form it's like very grotesque and um I think that now, now I think about the triple threat of like killer clowns from outer space and then Tim Burton's Batman and then it, I'm like, okay, well now it makes sense. Now I understand why all these kids were suddenly terrified of clowns. But anyway, so I, I, I hang out with teenagers all the time. It's my job. Um, I don't have a choice. Uh, so I, I get sort of secondary what's going on on social media uh, vibes, right? So mm-hmm. I remember, I don't know. 10 years ago, I, everything feels like 10 years ago to me, uh, 10 years ago that there was this, like, these kids in my class being like, yo, Mr. Brooks, there's all these clown attacks. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, no, for real, this is clown attacks. I saw it on, you know, Instagram or whatever. And I'm like, oh, uh, all right. So social media has sort of taken this clown thing and done some 
fun things with it uh, and given new life to it. What are those things? Like, what are they talking about? Uh, what was this reemergence of, of uh, clownophobia that, that occurred on social media uh, roughly 10 years ago? Well, you know, 10 years ago, it, it never really dies. Yeah. It, it always is around. It can always pop up. Um, there's something about it, obviously, that, that lends itself to going viral. Um, but, you know, the one that I we did more work on. I'm not sure if I remember the one you're talking about or, or read about it. Maybe it wasn't like as big as the 2016 one, but do you remember this last one that we had in 2016? That might be the one I'm talking about. Again, yeah, I, 10 years I, ago. my timeline is bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the one you're talking about. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, there's, there's theories about what started it. You know, there's a, a guy that was, um, doing a trailer for a movie. No, it was a stunt for a movie. So he just stood out like for some short film that never went anywhere. He just stood out with a clown costume holding a balloon and people took pictures of it, put it on Facebook or whatever horrific site (laughs) they're on. (laughs) It's all terrifying. Um, And uh, then from then on, it it just really exploded. There's also this great documentary in case you or your listeners haven't watched on Hulu called Wrinkles the Clown. They they claim that this particular guy is really the the reason that this clown panic happened. And I think that's a little bit uh, of an exaggeration. But, you know, there were just people... For whatever reason, I tend to, if we're going to go on some deep psychological level, you know, I think obviously things were really uh, different and intense in 2016. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. we had a very, um, right, yeah. I don't think even if you, even if you love Donald Trump, I don't think you can say he doesn't look I like don't. a clown. No, I, I didn't assume. <laughs> I assumed you did not. Um, but, you know, he looks like a clown. He just he looks, does. there is no person I can think of that looks naturally more like a clown than that or or unnaturally but at least day to day looks like a clown um and so you know i tend i tend to like those explanations but but we'll never really i mean we can't know this is mysteries of the you know right american psyche but um Ah, yeah, it it was, it did the same thing where it was, uh, you know, watching the news clips, and I know you've heard the episode, and we used a lot of them in there, they're just so funny, of little children saying they saw clowns in the woods, and my favorite is that... this is like very uh, 2016 versus the 80s, right? In the 80s, the clowns were offering candy. And in 2016, these kids are saying they just offered them cash to come <laughs> into the woods, just cold, hard cash. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, uh, it's, um, but again, it's parents. I think, you know, we can say kids, but you know who else it is? It's parents, parents, parents who want attention. Oh, They're everywhere. Um, yeah. And, or just adults in general, like I'm going to come out as a, uh, shrimp gate, uh, non-believer. Uh, do you remember shrimp gate? Oh, 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 the, wait, you mean, the shrimp the, and cinnamon toast crunch? crunch? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like saying it's fake and people are like, I'm allergic to shellfish. Like, how dare you, you know, right. <laughs> say that. And it's like, no, this dude is lying. Anyway, we never, he was like, I'm going to take it to a scientist and show you that it's real. And we never heard back from that scientist. Oh, I think I even said like in, in, in like two years, some kid's going to be on the bus and be like, my, my friend I went to camp with, like his brother, <laughs> like for sure found shrimp in his 100%. cereal. 
You know, like it's it's one hundred percent. Oh yeah, happen. it is. And I mean, it happened with Pepsi. Uh, people were found finding syringes in their Pepsis in the late nineteen eighties, and there's videos of people just putting them in there. You know, <laughs> and it's just such bullshit. But um, you know, it is like especially on social media, there is a huge incentive to do something sensational because you want to go viral and what's going to go viral. You know, it's like, that's, that's my opinion on sort of the, the, the kind of discourse that we have politically on Twitter is that the loudest and most uh, sensational and um, the most uh, exaggerated or the most intense or the most uh, overblown opinions and voices are going to be the ones that we listen to the most. Mm -hmm. And we think represents uh each other. So I think that in that way, it's easy for anyone to go on the internet and, and say something incensing or something uh, fun and creepy that's going to go viral. I mean, you know, we see videos of ghosts going viral and, and UFOs and all of those different things, whether we whether they're true or not, people are always going to be attracted to the most exciting stuff. And that has its evolutionary purpose in that, you know, we pay attention to novel experiences because they're the ones that we can't afford to ignore in a lot of cases where if it, we're not going to pay attention to kind of like the same old stuff because our brains are used to them. But if it's something out of the ordinary, that's either a threat or, you know, even like something awesome, like a crazy food source or, or whatever, we're going to pay more attention to that than we are to the, you know, corn that we've been eating for the last six months. So it's, it's, we're attracted to these novel experiences, which then has made our world end uh, because we're attracted to conspiracy theories and stories of Satanists and, and all these <laughs> sort of things. But, but if you have someone saying like a clown is trying to lure my children into the woods, not only is that like juicy and fun, it's also, it's also playing on a lot of fears that we have. And then right. it's also playing on the attention economy of, of the internet where a parent can say, I found Momo. this. Yeah. I found the Momo. <laughs> I found the Momo. They call it the Momo a lot, yeah. which always makes me laugh when adults are talking about it, the Momo. Um, but uh, you know, you hear a lot of uh, every year there's, someone's put something in Halloween candy yeah. and almost always, I mean, nobody ever puts anything in Halloween candy except as a prank to prank their parents or their friends or whatever. But, you know, there's always parents getting caught by the cops later, or whoever faking this stuff and making it go viral on social media. And then uh, it gets out of hand and then they investigate it. And the parents finally like, I just did it for attention. Right. Um, right. So, you know, I think that's a big, that's a big part of it is, is everybody, you know, everybody wants, wants people to pay attention to them. Um, and that's a really good way to get that kind of attention. Yeah. And I'm not going to get into the, uh, the poison candy things. I might, I might cover <laughs> that in the show at some point. Um, anyway, okay, but, not too um, much. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, there's the funny thing is like the feedback loop, right? The, the sort of like self-fulfilling prophecy element of it as well, that these stories get out and then there's people who like prank to, to sort of propel the story further. And then it acts as like proof that the story was real in the first place and, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I think of, um, there was a time in my life when I was much less, um, responsible than I am now, uh, that 
if this whole like clown hysteria had been happening, I 100% would have bought a clown costume and just like randomly watch around the, the woods to see if anybody saw me. Absolutely. Um, I almost did it last Halloween during the <laughs> pandemic because I was like, I don't know what else to do. So I might as well try to start an, a new clown panic, but I got lazy. Right, so I'm sure there's me's out there who like, you know, are in a certain stage of their life who are like, yeah, I'll do that. I can completely see that happening. And so like, um, I, I guess what I want to like the last thing I really want to talk about is um, aside from that, you know, are there any real stories? Cause the thing about Gacy, which is like what maybe you want to talk to you in the first place. I was watching the, the Gacy documentary on, on, um, on Peacock. And it made me think about your episode again. And, and the thing about Gacy is that like there, there was no association between his serial killing and his clowning. They were completely like None. separate buckets. He 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 did this thing like dressed up as a clown and like went to parties and then also killed a bunch of people, but like never at the same time. And like no. one did not lead to the other. So even with the Gacy case, you don't really have a um, a bulletproof or even it's 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 just nothing um, of of a of a killer clown. Um, has there been anything corroborated has a clown ever harmed another human being knowingly while in clown costume as far as we know anywhere in history i i have nothing that i can think of um and like you said gacy was totally not you know it was not causal it was just a coincidence and a really juicy angle for a story um when the way that he learned people was with work so it was very great evil yeah right i know (laughs) capitalism (laughs) i know it always is um yeah there's not there's nothing that has ever been, I mean, of course, I'm sure that it's happened in history that someone, I remember there was some story about like a person who showed up and killed his girlfriend or a girlfriend that killed their boyfriend or something with a clown mask on, but that was probably just to hide their identity. And that was what they had laying around. Um, you know, I, I really can't think of any, I can't, I really can't think of any. Um, which is wild to me like it's really wild to me that there's nothing it's so fabricated it just it's that's mind-blowing there's no evidence of satanic ritual abuses either you know i mean there's just not like not to say that a satanist has never or even somebody who like had you know a Anton LaVey book laying around killed somebody right. but it's not like oh I'm taking you out into the woods and like cutting a upside down cross into your chest and murdering you know that just isn't unless it's like some consenting teenagers on a legend trip they're not gonna like you know th- these are just they're just they're just stories and and they're stories that I mean as as a religious you know person or not a religious person as someone who teaches religion um you know about Jewish blood libel, you know, and that's really what the satanic panic was. And the Illuminati is just a, uh, this ancient, you know, 2000 year old story of Jewish people drinking the blood of Christian babies. And all that is, is, is dehumanizing our enemy. It is, we all, we all do that. We dehumanize our enemy and that's always the best way to do it is with Satan, um, in, in cultures that believe in Satan. Um, but you know, the clown is, is, is 
almost just wrapped into that for me now, this like fantastical villain. Um, but, you know, the clown is, isn't, it's not being used against anyone, you know, You're, they are calling people Satanists and, and there's an agenda against Satanists, but the clown stands apart as this sort of purposeless villain, you know, like what he, he's yeah. not, you're not call you call people a clown, sure, but you're not like, you're bad. You're bad because you're a clown, right. you know, like <laughs> you're just, right. you're, yeah. there's just a clown in the woods, right? Um, but you're not normal. using that. Yeah, <laughs> it is. They're the just woods. like, just a clown in the woods. <laughs> but I guess that. that's kind of why it does fit an urban legend more than, you know, moral panic right. or conspiracy theory, but they're just, there. there's so much, uh, there's so much wrapped into into the clown and, and the idea of, of the vulnerability of children. And I really do think that that's part of the root of it is just how do we take the thing that we at this time find to be the most innocent and flip that around and, and make it, you know, it's like how Tom Hanks was the leader of the QAnon pedophile ring to some people. It's like, how can we take the nicest right. thing? Right. And I, I have bad. a belief that, yeah, yeah, I have a belief that if Mr. Rogers had been alive, that he would have been the uh, oh, leader no. of, the, that of was, the QAnon. That was already happening. I mean, even like when, when I was a teenager, like the rumors of Mr. Rogers as a pedophile, the child rapist was, it was all there. Um, Ugh, yeah, so, so sad. it would have been so much worse in the QAnon internet age, yeah, I know. But, but, um, yeah, uh, so, so thank God for, for small mercies, I guess. I guess so. But yeah, the clown is a great mystery, a great American mystery. Uh, <laughs> and that's, that's why I love it. You, we could go on forever. You know, you could write, you could write a million different, and that's part of why I love making the show. It's like, I'm never trying to come here and be like, this is the truth, except maybe like, this is a historical fact, but not like an explanation is the truth. It's just all, it's just theories. And, and that's part of, I mean, everything is theories. Um, and so it's a lot of fun to take this archetype, this ancient uh, archetype, like you said, the trickster that stretches across all time and culture. I mean, there's something there um, that's really important. And it's just looking at the American version, you know, the, the colonized American version of uh, this archetype. And uh, this is what we got. Um, before we go, uh, <laughs> yeah. just uh, I, I want to ask a, a semi, um, again, sort of personal um, question here, not that personal. But, um, you know, again, you and I, like, we, we both really enjoy debunking and, 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 investigating sort of the DNA of these ideas and how they come into the world and um, how they present themselves and so forth. And like tied to that is also, I think, a shared history that, you know, at some point, like, yeah, I took conspiracy theories seriously. Um, not that I believed them, but that I was, I was interested in like, not just taking 9-11 at face value, for instance, and like, yes, you know, listening yes. to the, the, the 9-11 truth uh, ideas. And I did, and I'm like, no, they're bullshit. Like this just does, this doesn't hold up to, to to scrutiny. But like, I certainly was not going to take Dick Cheney at face value. You know what I mean? And like, no, there was there was good reason not to. Um, and you know, like I I go back and forth on the alien thing. Like I'm still not quite sure where I land there. I, I tend to be more on the very skeptical side of that whole thing. And and I'm pretty sure Lee Harvey Oswald killed JFK, and that's pretty much the end of it. Mm -hmm. And but like I you know I've thought about these things, and I've and I've done the research, uh, but like real research, not like you know YouTube research. Sure. Um, <laughs> and like thought about well, what if the world is flat? Like tell me it isn't. And I'm like oh, okay, there you go. There's science. I'm all set. So yeah. Um, I guess at this point I'm sort of like exhausted. Like I'm out of uh, I'm out of conspiracies. There's really nothing that um, 
you know, I'm not fairly certain like where I fall uh, as far as that goes. But is there anything even after all this time and all this research and all these episodes that you've done and you've covered really enormous range of, um, of, of topics, is there anything that you're still kind of hanging on to that you think like, well, maybe, maybe this thing <laughs> is true? You know, I mean... <clears throat> something we try to really like to really drill in is that like conspiracies exist um there are conspiracy facts yeah exactly they're just usually a lot less sensational than we'd like them to be um you know and i think there's plenty of that in you know the iraq war and, and different things uh that you could point to and say that's conspiracy theory um the Iran Contra stuff, you know, there, there's definitely, or I, you know, I, I, we talk about the Black Panthers a lot on the show and, and the treatment of the Black Panthers by the FBI, yeah. CIA, you know, just, there are real conspiracies um, in which groups of people are in cahoots in some way to get a desired result, you know, of power. Um so, you know, I, one that I just still can't let go of is Bohemian Grove. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, because, I mean, there's there's evidence that powerful people get together in the woods in California to revere the Redwoods, quote unquote. And it's, you know, just basically this freaky, weird frat party that that is completely documented to have this thing called the cremation of care, which appears to be a sacrifice, like where everybody wears robes and fucking chants and does all this really weird stuff that, you know, as a as a 19, 20 year old who was watching Alex Jones, by the way, before Alex Jones, like really went on the right wing tip, he just kind of accosted and yelled at politicians, which I enjoyed uh, in the Bush years uh, because he hated Bush. Right. Um, And so uh, I don't think they do anything occultic or satanic, but I think that things happen there and agreements happen there and handshakes and, and, and money and like, you know, uh, politicians talk to lobbyists and they talk to media people and celebrities even sometimes. And I mean, I think when you have this group of rich people getting together in the woods for a week and a half or two weeks or whatever, you're going to be like, what? And, you know, by most accounts, it's it's literally them getting drunk, dressing up in stupid costumes, smoking cigars and, you know, doing basically skull and crossbones shit you know like trying to act like they're in yeah exactly they're trying to act like they're in (laughs) exactly yeah it is it's it's how the world works all the time so i think you know i'm not uh i will never be someone who doesn't say that powerful people collude Mm -hmm. to i mean it's look at january 6th i mean you know there's there's plenty of evidence that there was a concerted effort to put this on. And, you know, I mean, we won't know for sure. I don't know. I'm not going to say anything I don't know to be true, but there are instances where this happens. And so I really try to understand why people believe these things. And it's not hard for me because I believed them um, Mm -hmm. in a different context, in a, you know, a more of a leftist context. Uh, And there, you know, there's conspiracy theories on both sides all the time. Um, And yeah, so I guess, I guess I just believe in the least sensational version of every story, right? So like, I believe there's a group of people that control a great deal of what happens in the world. And they're 
billionaires <laughs> and their minions. Um, but then, you know, but I don't think they're a satanic, right. you know, Jewish cabal. Um, but at the same time, people uh, in the tech world are uh, getting blood transfusions from young people to try to to stay young. So, you know, that's real. There's, they're not hiding it. Peter, it's like Peter a whole body real. of research. And he loves Trump. Yeah. So go yes, figure. Exactly. So I know ironic, right? Um, so, you know, I, I, the world never ceases to surprise me. And I think the best thing I can try to do is stay humble uh, because <laughs> I'm very, very gullible. Uh, and I always have been. And that's probably part of why I make my show to just teach myself a lesson. <laughs> I can relate. Um, okay, we'll leave it there. Do you want to share your 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 work with the world and where they can find it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you can find American Hysteria on pretty much any podcast app. Uh, we're on an off season right now, but we're still putting out uh, some interviews and some content. We just did an episode on gender reveal parties that was very fun. Um, and you know, we have Patreon as well, where we do extra content. We're doing uh, a road trip this summer, my partner and I, who works for the show, and we're going to be putting up, you know, great American road trip stops, um, kind of like live content there, which will be really fun. So if, if you're already a listener and that sounds fun, head over and check that out. And then Twitter at Amer Hysteria and Instagram at American Hysteria Podcast. That's where you can find me. Well, Chelsea, thank you for um, coming and talking to me about clowns. And uh, it's going to be my second fun episode in a row, which I'm very excited about. Have a great summer and uh, looking forward to, to the next season. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you having me on, John. And I'm happy that you get to have fun episodes. I know what that's like <laughs> when you just get to a fun one. Yeah. So I'm glad I could be part of it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Really, I'm sad.